I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Across the UK, online and on DAB. Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. Femba can go to hell. Topical talk, outspoken opinion and inspirational conversation on the hour of badass power. Underwear, armpit hair, many imitators but no one compares. Minter, Campbell and Sexton are your all new Saturday night super squad. Badass Women's Hour on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. One, two, three, Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions we can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minter and I'm joined by my co-host Emma Sexton and Natalie Campbell and we'll be here with you for the next hour sharing all our thoughts on the news and views this week and we've got an amazing guest who's going to be telling her Instagram secrets and of course we'll be doing our badass balls up answering all your questions. But starting off this week, we're looking at the news that has really caught our attention and got us thinking. And we have a piece where we are saying, yay, Scotland. Scotland the brave. We're all packing our winter coats and moving up north. (laughs) (laughs) Nat, why is this? This is because Scotland has finally responded to period poverty. uh, And they are giving free tampons and pads to those in need. So tell me, what do we mean when we talk about period poverty? Um, So... It's been covered in in previous shows, but fundamentally there is a whole section of society that because of the expense and cost of buying sanitary wear, they're they're missing out. Um, And in some areas, it means young girls are not going to school because they don't have any sanitary wear and they're bleeding. Um, And so the the Scottish government have determined that they will start a a six-month scheme Um, to give free products to women and girls from low-income households in Aberdeen. Uh, They'll be handed out at selected locations, so schools, food banks, again, places where, you know, people can get to to access these products, but probably other services too. So I like to think that we have something to do with this because we, a few months ago when we talked about this, we decided we'd launch a campaign, which didn't actually get around to launching. But I like to think that the thought went all the way to the Scottish government. (laughs) But But someone told me the other day that we spend, there was a figure that was out, that we spend about £18,000 in our lifetime on sanitary products as women. Probably a lot more if you think about the the range in cost. And when we were talking about it on the show... I was talking about my horror at spending four pounds on a pack of like basic tampons, but I'd never really realised how much I was spending before. And I think the key thing here is that the the Scottish government is saying, look, as, as a basic as a basic but necessary item, these things are fundamentally too expensive. And as part of a household shop, if you only got fifty quid a week or even less to feed a whole family, or as a young girl that doesn't have a job, where are you supposed to find? This, this four pounds or, you know, in most cases, a lot more than that. So it's I think it's a good step in the right direction. I love the fact it's a pilot. It's only six months. Let's see what comes out of it. But it should be rolled out across the UK and there are no plans to do that as yet. No. And that's what I find really sad is that nobody's actually taken that. When that report came out and it said that girls are not going to school because mm. of this. So girls are not getting an education simply because they can't access sanitary wear. And nobody took that up. So well done, Scotland. Should we, we do a new campaign? Free the pad. <laughs> yeah, free, free the, the pad. pad. Hashtag free the but pad. But also, you can still get condoms for free. You can go into any sexual health clinic and get free condoms. It should There should be a place where you can just go and get free um, sanitary sanitary wear, whether regardless of whatever. Should you should the have same that place. access. It the should same be, place exactly. that the boys yeah. can get things for their penises. Yeah. You know, free yeah. the pad. Yeah, let's do that. 
so Emma what has the, been the news story that's caught your attention this week well it is why do we still insist on calling women miss or missus and with the recent uh, death of the feminist Sheila Michaels she was the lady that brought miss so just ms to kind of the mainstream but I have a real issue with all of this miss because I've kind of reached that age now where people are like oh well I don't think she's a miss and I'm not sure she's a missus because I don't know if she's married so they'll automatically default you to the ms so like your bank cards and I'm like I don't want us I don't want this in front of my name if you're going to put something in front of my name put doctor <laughs> put lady not badass. miss badass I mean I can give them a whole list of names and none of them would be miss missus or miss what do you think ladies so I don't really have I don't really like Ms. either. And I find that really interesting because I feel like I should. I should be all over it. I feel it's a feminist term. It was created so that we didn't have to define ourselves as married or not. But I also was just like, I don't even know why we have Mrs. Right? Yeah. Why do we have Mrs.? What would just be wrong with just being a Miss forever? Like, I could be a Miss forever. That's fine. Yeah. But also, why do we need them anyway? Exactly. At what point do I need to define my gender for you that I can't just tell you in person? Maybe if you're a doctor or hospital, I don't. Maybe then, but really, why do we need to have these words that go at the front of something to say this is a boy person, this is a girl person? It's so true. It's because for my bank account, what difference does it make whether I'm male or female? Yeah. Like really, it's totally irrelevant. Just to say, that's the first time I've ever seen you get close to ghetto. <laughs> <laughs> Have I? Yeah. I'm gonna I like, like, what's the term you use normally? What, gonna like, what? No, when you're gonna like, I don't know, beat somebody take up. Take my earrings off. <laughs> take yeah. my earrings off. Yes, I'm gonna take my earrings off you, about you being good. Yeah. Yeah. You were in that mode. Now, are you a miss, a miss, or a. Oh, you're not missus. What are you? What are you? Uh, badass. Yeah, so the other <laughs> badass, exactly. Badass, full stop. Um, I actually wrote in the last 10 days Miss M-I-S-S on a form uh, for when I was writing my whole name and it was a weird sort of experience my brain almost went ooh what, what's that and I've noticed that um, the, the sort of the what is it the suffix yeah that's been dropped off of my bank cards um, but I'm cool with MS I do remember the stigma at school in that when you uh, teachers that used MS you were assumed they were lesbians or spinsters <laughs> or a bit weird or a bit you? weird and all the young teachers were, were miss and you know obviously everyone that was married was was um, misses and now I, I I'm in a I don't I don't mind I this is where I'm a bit I guess a bit flip floppy in terms of being a feminist in, in, in terms if I got married because we know I wouldn't get married in traditional terms I wouldn't change my surname and I wouldn't be a, a, a missus um, I just think let people be who they are like TFL they're saying hello everybody instead of That's hello nice. ladies and gentlemen you know but just, you, just be inclusive when you are on the tube though <laughs> definitely something you notice as you get older it's like in the olden days if you got up got up from your seat for somebody and like I don't know maybe it's for a child their parent would be like oh thank the thank the thank Thank, thank the nice lady. Yeah, thank the nice lady. And they check, well, no, thank you. They go, thank you, miss. Mm -hmm. And then when you're older, they're like, thank you, thanks, the lady. And it's like they change the terms when they thank you on the. On, on. Really? Yeah. yeah, they do. They and do. that's how you know you're old when people say thanks. <laughs> say yeah, thank thanks, miss. Lady. Or thank you, lady, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? It's like, oh. But I think there's actually a bigger point here, which is really why are we still in any way, shape, or form determining women by whether they are married, not married, or uninterested in being married. Exactly. Yeah, and that, for me, I find really frustrating and difficult because I don't care whether you have decided to spend your life with somebody in particular or not, and I don't care whether you've had a ceremony to announce that. And nobody cares about that when it comes to men. So actually, why do we still do it for women? And I think rather than maybe having Miss, Mrs, Ms, Mr, Lord, Lady, whatever, can we just can we not just get rid of all of them? I'm going to stop using them as of now. Whoa, 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 whoa. But if I became a lady, as in a baroness, you better know that you'll be calling me <laughs> Lady Campbell, just just for reference. But even that, where does that come from? You know, it's I still don't hierarchical. care. I will be coming in with a T-shirt on <laughs> and I want you ishes to be calling me Lady Campbell. Okay. But there's some, do, that do you know what? It's like when people get an OBE or an MBE and they're like, oh, I've never taken... Oh, it's so silly. I don't know why I've got it. And then it appears on all their stationery everywhere. Like, you know what? That's yeah. the goal. Get rid of the suffix at the front and add something to the back. There we go. Yes. High five. <laughs> so our final story this week is Andy Murray and Andy Murray basically showing himself to be the kind of 
classic and beautiful male feminist that he is this week. So he's being interviewed by a journalist in which the journalist said, so this guy, Sam, is the first tennis player to get to, a first American player to get to the Wimbledon semi-finals in however many years. And Andy Murray just gave him this death stare and said, first male player, and then rolled his eyes. <laughs> and it just went absolutely viral, partly because of Judy taking the Judy Murray taking the video tweeting it out with that's my boy she was obviously very proud Um, (laughs) but I loved it because it was such a simple and almost automatic reaction Mm. it was like this is a little bit of sexism here and I'm just going to call it out and I do that every single time I see it Nat did you watch the video what did you think I did I watched it on repeat and I tweeted it from (laughs) our account and what I would say I don't even think it's him being consciously aware of pointing out sexism i just think his program to be like that's just what you've just said to me is incorrect and i'm going to correct you um and because he's in the field and he has respect for brilliant players when someone says something that's just fundamentally wrong he's calling out yes he's calling it out and he's also he i think he knows the magnitude of, of what he's doing when he's calling it out because he i think it's something that he he, he hears consistently uh but what i would like to see actually is more of a broader conversation around other men doing that in sport because it happens so often. This is just the first time we're hearing it because of the power of social media. And the other thing I think is interesting with this is it's about what it means to be a male ally to feminism. And being an ally is kind of like not being necessarily part of the gang, but kind of saying I side with it and I support it. So I'm not Mm. a woman, so I can't be a kind of female feminist, but I am an ally to your cause and I get it. And... I see it a lot in kind of the work I do with corporates and you'll go and they'll have a women's network or they now like to call it a gender network. And I talked to a lot of men and I got a bit eye rolly and frustrated with them because I would talk to them and they'd be like, yeah, you know, and I'm part of this network because it's really important for men too. And I was like, guys, that's not the idea. <laughs> Emma, does that annoy you when guys do that? I, I definitely am well aware of some people in my industry who probably turn themselves male feminists and are a champion of women, but mainly because it gives them an opportunity to, to speak on the topic. I really loved Andy Murray because you're right, Nat, the way he called it out was factual. And there was no like, I'm going to start being a male feminist about this. He was just like, the facts are that is incorrect and for so long people have brushed over that and not seen that as important and he made a point of that being it was important to distinguish that we were talking about male and you know acknowledging that so for me I really like that it made it just normal to go that's not okay to to dismiss uh, to dismiss gender like that so I like this sort of nonchalant way he he did it you know where it wasn't like I'm a feminist that goes back to the point you made a few weeks ago when we were talking about how do you call out um, misogyny on Twitter and you use facts you, the, the first way that you discredit anyone when they're saying something is to show them facts mm. and the facts speak for themselves it was the first male player uh, you know women are, are not given uh, equality we are not equal anywhere in the world regardless of what men want to say but you have to show them the facts so I just want to say the gender network thing I don't get it if it's called yeah. a gender network, gender is both genders. What I don't get it. So the idea is that women's networks are rebranding to gender networks because they don't want to be um, anti-men. I, I can't even begin to get That's, that's a whole other argument for another day because it drives me up the wall. So I was just confused. Um, My brain was sort of slowly processing and I was like, I don't understand what this thing <laughs> yeah, is. Sorry. No, it's not It's not worth but going back, space. Going back to the... the um, the reporter who, would, who was talking to Andy Murray, do you know what I didn't like? The way mm. he kind of laughed. He didn't go, you're absolutely right, Andy. Mm. I'm really sorry. No, the first male, he went, oh, oh yeah. And I was just no, like, he oh, was embarrassed in the face. He, no, so again, what, listening to it on repeat, he was embarrassed and he got, he got called out. And in that moment of being not really knowing what to do, that's what he did. But I bet, well, I would hope on reflection he'd realize it would be good if he actually turn around and go you're right i'm really sorry i have a you know an unconscious sexism because of society and i'm really sorry andy i should have i don't think the guy's that smart he's not that smart (laughs) where are the smart ones oh my gosh (laughs) if you know where the smart ones are you should tell us us. um do tweet us did you think andy murray did the right thing did he do it in the right way and could he have made more of a point of it actually could he have made it bigger would that have helped tweet us and tell us at badass women's hour hr at badass women's hour uh coming up now we have got 
blogger, Instagrammer, all-round social media guru Anna Hart joining us in the studio. And we're going to be asking her all about her life as an Instagram celeb and what we should all be doing to boost our social media profiles. Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions you can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minter and I'm joined by my co-host Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. And this week we are also joined by influencer Anna Hart. She runs One Roof Social, an influencer marketing agency. And she's also the founder, writer and general badass behind the South Molten Style blog. Anna, welcome to the show. Hello. So lovely to have you here. So first of all, tell us... What the actual F is an influencer? (laughs) (laughs) That's a fair question. Um, I mean, it is the golden question. Um, Effectively, it's somebody who makes an impact on consumers via digital media. I just came up with that. That's really good. (laughs) How many followers do I need to be an influencer? Um, Is it followers or is it like, like, how do you measure it? This is the golden, again, like the massive question is now it's far more about it's not how big you are, it's what you've got. So, you know, um, which is an analogy you can use in several different <laughs> ways. Um, but effective, for example, if you are, say you have 100,000 followers and I am a, an umbrella company, um, you would, so of 100,000, you might only have 5,000 that w- like live in wet countries where an umbrella is relevant. So therefore you're not, great for that campaign but equally there could be someone with 5,000 followers where all of them live in the UK and umbrella is constantly needed throughout 12 months so that's far better mm-hmm. so it it's about understanding the demographic of what your followers are generally speaking once you have a thousand of any demographic you're interesting from a marketing standpoint mm-hmm. interesting and so how did you get into this when did, where did you start um uh, I worked in a very different field I was working in I was working in recruitment um which actually is something I think has been really useful because it's Mm. people and it's KPI driven and all of that kind of stuff um but I had an operation and was literally couldn't move for about two months and not very good about being bored so started the blog I can't tell you why it was called that why I did it there was no burning desire the internet strangely felt anonymous then. It was like the opposite mm. of what it is now. How long ago was this? Uh, six years ago. And I did it, I guess, as a creative pursuit, but I didn't even, it was literally a boredom thing. I didn't know anything about fashion. I started it during Fashion Week and didn't know it was Fashion Week. <laughs> I, I literally had no idea. And I just p- circumstantially picked a really good time to do it. Um, I was recruiting for media companies, so digital was starting to come more into play. Mm ended up going to work for a client and then six years later I'm here so yeah <laughs> so I lo- whenever we talk to people with you know fantastic kind of blogs or Instagram followings things like that they always say oh you know I did a bit of this and I did a bit of that and then it kind of there was that but you did say something really interesting in there that I wanted to pick up on which was KPIs yeah so tell us about what KPIs are what they mean and why they're important for digital marketing because I think this is a bit that nobody talks about um stats data um, it's the numbers. I mean, so many influencers sort of push back on this, but what it's going to... It's an advertising platform, whether we like it or not. And I think the influence industry is a pastime that's accidentally become a profession and it's still finding its feet. There's various legislations which have come in which are annoying because they're stopping people from exploiting the system on both sides, both as a brand and as an influencer. But it means that there are parameters now um, and brands are more savvy to the fact of if we're paying you to do this we need some substance substance back mm. and we need you to produce some some statistics to say that we should pay you in the first place and that's where the KPIs and the stats and all of that really come into play. So are you actually a bit of a stats geek? Yeah I love it <laughs> absolutely <laughs> like, yeah it's my best stats are my best friend because they back up everything I do and if I didn't have that, I i mean, there'd be sleepless nights. I wouldn't know because, you know, with the agency, we pay people thousands of pounds to do activity based on how, you know, if that was purely based on what their Instagram appeared to look like, how the hell would mm. I know 
Yeah. Whether I was getting any return from it, it would be a nightmare. So yeah, Emma. Anna, so you've had you started a blog six years ago, and you say that you started off because you were just you were you know recovering and you're yeah. a bit bored. But how have you maintained momentum? Because six years is a long time, and I follow you on Instagram like every day. You know, you're regular with your posts. Like it's really reliable to see you on my feed. I'm like, how do you maintain that sort of tenacity and keep going and keep going? Honestly, I just really enjoy it. I think, and it's it's a passion project for me. It's I've never wanted to be a full-time blogger because I never wanted to lose the fun aspect. And I think the meat, the if I was, for me personally, if I was to turn around and make the blog my job, it would become work. Like, yes, it's great. I get paid to do things and get to experience amazing things. But if I didn't have that amazing, if I didn't have work to go to, then I think it would start to feel a little bit too much like a task which is crazy when you're given these opportunities um which is why i well part of the reason on a personal side i built the agency to give me that work Mm. and play kind of dynamic um but i really enjoy it and how did the agency come about and how long have you had one roof social um one roof is about 18 months old now um it was born out of having um so i ended up working brand side um for a couple of companies and trying to run a successful influencer program or project as a brand was just a nightmare because brands didn't understand one uh, some aspects of it and influencers didn't understand the other. So I realised that there was a gap in the market for an agency that came from both sides. Um, so we try and essentially we just try and demuddy the water for people, but it, essentially it comes down to data. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What do you think influences? So anyone listening to this at home that considers himself an influencer or is thinking about this as a career? Because I think that, that's the reality of the world we're yeah. in now. There are young people coming out of school, coming out of college, college, thinking, okay, I'm going to be a YouTuber, I'm going to be a vlogger, a blogger, and all of these different things, not necessarily understanding the fundamentals of business. So how? What are the three things? that influencers need to know or should be thinking about in terms of making this a viable career or business proposition? Because fundamentally, if no one's paying you, it's just a hobby. Yeah. So what are the three things? It's definitely, those are things that come up, we come up against all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one, I would say, do it because you, you love it mm-hmm. and you want to have a blog, not because you want to make money for mm-hmm. it from it. So ask any... Well, it, ask anybody who's been an influencer since sort of the beginning. So we're talking like six years beyond, five, six years beyond. They have all had other careers and built them up to financially, make it financially viable yeah. to get to a point that they have been able to go full time. And that is the biggest thing that I would say. Um, second thing I would say is don't be expectant. Um, unfortunately... It was really interesting, actually. We did a survey uh, with One Roof Social where we asked influencers how they calculate their fees, and a massive percentage of them came out and said that they calculate it based on time and effort. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really interesting. So it was a bit like, well, sorry, but if I was any other, if it was any other media medium, I don't pay Vogue magazine to build the magazine that you know the amount of time it takes them to put the advert in the paper. So I'm, I don't feel that I should have to pay you. To, for the time and effort it takes for you to produce the content that yeah. is why I re- approached you in the first place um, so expect to put a lot of time and effort in graft basically we, all of us have had to graft mm. and I think that's why there's a bit of resentment with these new guys that are coming in who just unfortunately sort of swoop in and you've got these other influencers who have spent years getting to the point that they're being paid for stuff um, so who are the new guys? What's the kind of what's what are the influencer battlegrounds? Um, <laughs> how long have you got? Um, there's have been there's been I mean essentially when influencers started it was heavily linked to the editorial side because you had a lot and, and ironically a lot of editors used it as a way to platform their their abilities outside of perhaps what they could do within the magazine because mm-hmm. they may have been a junior features editor and only really got to be able to put 10 top mm-hmm. dresses on a page when actually they were really good at other things so it was used as a portfolio so it was heavily entwined with the editorial world so therefore came into a PR world mm-hmm. yeah. um, once it left PR and became a marketing issue which effect- effectively is when it came down to being paid for stuff because the PR teams don't aren't ones that have the budget, massive budgets it, yeah. it's marketing teams that do that's when it all started to change um 
Can uh, you give us an example of a new influencer? Um, <laughs> we were talking earlier about Brooklyn names. Beckham, weren't we? <laughs> well, Brooklyn Beckham's a really interesting one on so many levels. <laughs> um, like, really, I mean, I can remember him being born quite vividly. I remember I was getting ready for school and Dad saying to me, and Dad complaining to me, oh, the Beckhams have named him after a hotel, kind of like, or oh, whatever. And now I just find it really weird because I actually saw him um, at an event um, a couple of months ago and he was ordering a beer and I was like, this is just wrong. Like, you're a child, what are you doing? Um, but... And but looking at him quite simply, he holds influence and that can't be ignored. And yes, it's frustrating. And yes, ultimately, that's because of his parentage and all of that kind of stuff. But when it comes down to it, he holds influence within a market. And he's proven that because they've done relative placements. You look at his brother, who was the um, who was the front kids guy for Burberry and children's wear product lifted 30 percent with him. So there is an influence. Different example. Emily Clarkson. (laughs) <laughs> interesting um, no little following just a surname could be anyone's surname to be honest front cover national publication yeah some declarations to make um, yeah um, that I think it's a different type of influencer because that's a talent influencer whereas part of the wonderful side like part of the love oh it's interlinked with celebrity what the bits that I find really interesting in the influence market are people who literally set it up in their bedroom in Norfolk and liked lip liners and then (laughs) 10 years later are fronting for Mulberry like Mm -hmm. that that's the kind of stuff that Mm -hmm. I think is more relatable and and those people have followers who follow that journey and I think that's far that's makes you know makes not me necessarily but someone like me go oh if they can do it then that's more relatable Okay, so we're going to keep Anna with us and her wisdom for our next section, which is, of course, our badass balls-ups, where we answer your problems using our combined over 100 years of experience to, well, hopefully give you some better solutions than you already have, (laughs) maybe not. Um, But we'll be looking at that, and in that we're going to be looking at how you get the most out of your weekends, what to do when you're freaking out about a smear test, and how do you dump a mentor. So stay tuned for that. Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions we can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minter and I'm joined by my co-host Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. And this week we are also joined by social media star, influencer and founder of One Roof Social, Anna Hart. Thank you for staying with us, Anna. Uh, So this is our Badass Balls Up section where we try and use our combined wisdom and all the mistakes we've made and have not yet learned from to help you out. And we have some really actually quite fun and interesting and just different questions this week. I'm really loving what you are sending us. And if you want to send us your questions again, it you can always do so on our Twitter at Badass Women's Hour, HR at Badass Women's Hour, or on our Instagram or Facebook, all the socials. Come find us and we can answer your problems. Now, what have we got first this week? So this one comes from Emily and she's asking about time. 
her thing is that she spends the working week obviously working and she tries to make the most of her evenings by going to the gym and hanging out with friends and then it gets to the weekend and then she's catching up with people with life with going to all of these things that you have to go to if you live in london or have to go to if you live in any big city because if you don't you you know you have fomo fear of missing out and she she feels burnt out come monday where she's then got to do it all over again so her question is how do i get in control of my weekends do i need to be out is is it okay to just hang at home on the sofa Yes, I mean, yeah. it is always okay to hang at home <laughs> on the sofa. Um, Anna, you've got quite a kind of busy, like, I would imagine event-packed life, right? Yeah, I guess I do, yeah. Um, how, how do you find that balance? I have absolutely no problem having <laughs> a very close relationship with my sofa. Like, I, I, don't, I think it's really important. That I th- really, uh, if you, you, I'm of the camp where I'm like, the mind's a muscle, so if you work it out, you need to rest it. Mm. And therefore, if it's in, if it's, Sundays for me are time off um I don't drink on Sundays anymore because I spent years walking into the office on Monday and just being a wreck yeah. so it's not worth it I don't drink um I'll probably I'm more of a go out on Fridays now rather than Saturdays because then I've got two days to get over it but also <laughs> yeah it is a spiral though it's really hard especially when you live in a city and there's just so much on offer and you feel with social media and stuff you feel like you should be instagramming your ice cream like the whole time mm. um but i have no problem and actually it's strangely almost becoming cool to go oh, i'm not drinking or oh no i'm just staying in yeah. and the number of people it's like this weird taboo the minute you say it other people go oh yeah me too yeah so, so. emma and i are both off the booze at the moment emma like because oh. she actually prefers it me because i realized that actually my liver was about to pack up and die <laughs> yeah. um but the other thing that i think is really interesting is um I'm doing this thing at the moment called The Artist's Way, which is all about how you get your creativity back when you're a bit burnt out. And it suggests that every week you have something called a date. So you have a date with yourself where you go and do something that in some way feeds your creativity. And they're really clear in the book. They're like, this does not mean that you have to go to an exhibition or a gallery or something that feels very worthy. If you love that, do it. But actually, anything that's just going to make you feel a bit lighter and happier, date with yourself. It's in the diary and you cannot miss it. And I think it is the best thing I've done Emma how do you do it I think I'm the worst person for time off because I kind of I just feel like my Mondays and Fridays are just so full on like there's so much Mm. going on there's client emails like you're kind of getting attacked from all angles and then when it comes to Saturday and Sunday I love the fact that I don't have to be anywhere at a certain time I don't have to respond to anything I can ignore emails but then I there that's when I want to use the time to I don't know think about stuff or do all the stuff that you need that sort of longer concentration span so I'm always torn with I probably need to lie on the sofa all day and do nothing versus I really want to learn about this thing or do that you are actually the worst person for relaxing you are the worst you went to Emma went to Ibiza for four days and came back and said look I've made a whole new website for my business (laughs) oh my god (laughs) no 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 no. let's let's add some clarity to this we said we said send us a picture of your lovely view and you sunbathing and she sent us a picture and she was inside and the picture was of her laptop <laughs> and we were like that sounds like me when i yeah. relax i then get all this creativity and my mind i'm my exactly mind the same awake i'm yeah. too twitchy i can't do anything I, I'm, the I'm, I'm the same but when i'm when i'm at home i uh, i I so our working weeks just mold, it's a mush so sometimes yeah. the weekend's working and sometimes midweek it's it's not working it's just one big sort of it's seven days of seven daysness but if I do have a, a weekend and I've managed to cram sort of working into a week I will happily hang on my sofa I think I say it every week on this show I sit in my pants I get I get the kettle chips <laughs> I get the red wine <laughs> and I find whatever on TV or not just listening to music. And you open up the windows at the, you know the sun's out of the or just don't listen to anything silence yeah. is amazing when you're yeah. trying to relax but yeah. and especially if you're an introvert having that sort of nothingness is is good but yeah. if it's a whole day outing then you know to break it up there'll be something going on but yeah do it just I take find time it off difficult time to out. blur the, uh, to kind of I have a vague rule which is I don't see colleagues on weekends because otherwise you don't ever mentally separate the working week from the weekend but it's really hard with what I do because mm. the lines get so blurred and ultimately there's some stat with the number of friendships people make via work which mm. obviously means there's some kind of carryover but I try really hard not to see people that I've got stuff actively going on with work during the weekends. Yeah. Good tip. Uh, so this is another problem from our reader um, so she didn't want to be named which is fine but she says I know that I need a smear test and I'm overdue my doctors keep sending me letters 
I know I should go. I know it's really important, but I hate them. I find them really uncomfortable and painful. I don't want to do it. Do we have any tips? Oh, this is a really tricky one. I think it's definitely a mind over matter thing. I think we can get really caught up in ourselves. We can get caught up in the fact that, you know, we're going to just basically be half naked with a stranger. But whenever I've just, I've got really comfortable with it now. And that Mm. has purely been about challenging my mindset. So when I felt worked up about it, going, hang on a minute, you're just having a smear test. I, I quite often, when I'm doing anything medical like that, I quite often think about all the people who are also having medical uh, conditions but they're in a worse state for me you know whenever you are in hospital there are other people who are having some really serious things just to try and give me mm. some perspective on the, the situation and also just to as well go to myself this is like 30 seconds 10 minutes out of my life but will make a big difference to my health in the long run so it's really a mindset thing for me but I do find every time you go if you try and associate more positive emotions it gets better. If you associate anything negative or high anxiety, every time you come to that situation, it, your body, your mind builds on that. So trying to diffuse that emotion is the most important thing you can do, for sure. I think, so two things for me. So one, it, it's less about the, the process and it's more about finding the time. So I am the worst one for booking in anything, any form of medical checkup. Um, so it's getting over that barrier. Uh, and then, yeah, once you're there, it's putting a positive spin on it. And I think the NHS could help us. I mean, you could make the space that you're about to check my bits in much nicer. Give me a glass of Prosecco. Give me a glass of champagne. <laughs> give me some nibbles. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? If you're digging around down there That for would a relax while, you. If you give me a glass of something, I'd be happy. I feel like they do this in other countries. You get an experience. It's not... You don't go to... I'm No, I'm pretty sure there are places... <laughs> I'm just raising my eyebrows at whether or not, like, yeah. Spain, you get tapas and a car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the places you go to... I have friends that have spoken about um, having babies in, in other countries, and they have, you know, these birthing hospitals where you're looked after and you're greeted, and it's part of a health experience versus what, the way I think the process that we've got into where it's not a health experience it's mm. kind of a health nightmare yeah. almost. I do think there is something about taking responsibility for your own environment so if you know and I for years and years and years I absolutely hated going for smear tests and I found them very painful and really was just didn't enjoy the experience at all um, and then I really took control of it so actually if I went in and I didn't like the nurse I would say I'd just be really honest and say I'm really sorry I'm feeling really uncomfortable right now. Is there someone else that I can do this with? Mm. Um, I would tell them in advance. I'd say, I'm really sorry. I don't want to be difficult, but I am one of those people that finds this experience very scary. So if you could possibly just give me some time, some space, that would be much appreciated. And I really listened to the instructions that they gave me. So as you're doing it, you'll find they'll say, you know, breathe in at this point, breathe out here, relax this here. Actually, if you really listen and focus on doing what they tell you to do, your body can respond to it and it can make it better. Emily, what do you think? Do you is it something are you on top of it? Do you go the whole time? Are I you, go. I'm pretty yeah. I'm pretty vigilant actually, but I think to be honest for me it's about perspective. It, yeah. that they, we're not doing this for fun. It's not we're not getting sent these letters because they fancy sticking something inside <laughs> us. Like, there's there's it's because it's proven that it will flag cancer and that's the other extreme. And on the other side I think in global terms is is, there's a lot of NHS bashing at the moment and I totally get it as somebody who massively relies on the NHS queues are frustrating processes are frustrating they're not glamorous but equally we are so privileged from a global point of view and you've got to look at the other extreme and kind of go there are an awful huge amount of women who don't have access to this and let's be honest they die so I for I mean, I hate it. And I have a very close friend, and often when people say very close friend, but I promise you it's not me, <laughs> who, who has the funniest story where she got so nervous she basically broke wind at a really, really difficult, <laughs> a, a awful moment. And that, and I always think of that story because like, at least I'm not her. But it, but I just go. It, it, go. I agree, go. I, I, I agree. I just, I just want to challenge you on that, though. Not challenge you, but just say, I think something that the NHS could do. So there's no reason why they can't play music in the background yeah, or you know, make the bedding not tissue. It's, it's yeah, small yeah, yeah. things that would make us comfortable doing something but that we don't. have to do, but yeah. they don't. Okay, let's move on to our next question. Final question, Emma. Oh, this is a good one. So this is from Victoria. She said, I had a mentor in the early stages of my career, but now I've outgrown their support and advice. But how do I politely tell them that I no longer need them to mentor me? How do you ghost your mentor? Yeah, is that basically, what you're saying? yeah. What do Ooh, you do? <laughs> yeah. Anna, have you ever had a mentor that you've had to say, do you know what? Our time here is done. 
I can't imagine ever not needing a mentor. Like I just, <laughs> I don't feel like I, for me, that there's, I, I don't have, I don't pay a mentor, but there are people in my life that I 100% need for sp- specific situations. But I guess thinking about it, I would probably try and refer them to somebody who I felt they could help and almost sort of say, you've helped me so much and thank you. I've got to the point that I wanted to when we first met. And now I think you could really help this person because then it's not, you're in no, you're not, you're complementing their services, but also offloading it onto someone else. Nice, I like that. I think, yeah, (laughs) maybe. Nat, what would you do? Well, I think the other side of this is that mentors are extremely busy. So you just saying, look, um, I I think that we've um, done as much as we can here. I need some time just to focus on on some things. They might just be really glad of having the time, but equally you should never go into a mental relationship thinking it's forever. You should have set clear mm. boundaries. We're going to let's try meeting once a month over 6 months and then always review. These ad hoc sort of mental things don't work for anyone. So be a bit more organized when you start a mentorship relationship and then have no problem just saying, "Look, you know, I'm I'm just going to focus. Thank you very much." because you're not paying them fundamentally they mm. are giving you something and giving them giving you your giving you their time so respect them enough to be honest yeah emma you mentor a lot of people have you ever been dumped <laughs> i think i've been phased out <laughs> i kind of feel like there's ebbs and flows and also i think as well there's never been you know i have like different mentors different people i call on and i would never necessarily dump them because i think even though i evolve as a person and my knowledge evolves they still can give me a very different perspective on on things and i really value that whenever i have a a challenge in life or business i find that talking to lots of different people and getting lots of different perspectives then helps me solve the problem for myself that's kind of how i so i never seek someone to just purely advise me i kind of seek people for their perspectives so i don't think i'd perhaps done one but yeah i've probably been out yeah yeah maybe phase them out slowly or pass them on to someone else that's our advice uh as ever if you want our advice and wisdom you can tweet us at badass women's hour or find us on instagram or facebook all the socials send us your problems because we really love to help big thank you to the amazing anna hart who's joined us today with her (laughs) brilliant wisdom uh so coming up in our next section we are talking about our backdated badass a woman from history that you absolutely need to know about and this one is from down under Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions we can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minter and I'm joined by my co-hosts Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. And this is the part of the show where we talk about a backdated badass, a woman from history that you absolutely need to know about. And introducing this week's backdated badass is the fantastic Emma Hart. And Emma is also actually going to be on a panel with us next week uh, at the NED. If you want to come along, if you're interested, you can tweet us at Badass Women's Hour HR and we will make sure you're on the guest list. Uh, Emma, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm very pleased to be here. Emma, you're the founder and CEO of Push PR. Um, But who are you talking about this week? I am talking about the brilliant Nancy Wake, fundamentally an amazing war hero. Tell us what she did. So she basically, she was born in 1912 in New Zealand and uh, quickly moved to Australia. She hot-footed it over at the tender age of 16 to London with £200 inheritance in her pocket and uh, studied journalism, uh, moved to France, and then became a really integral uh, leading figure in the French resistance. Um, Throughout the time that she was alive, and she actually died uh, in 2011 at age 98, she had um, become known as someone who completely foxed the Gestapo. She became known as the White Mouse. She had a book written about her by Sebastian Fawkes, uh, called Charlotte Grey, which I'm sure many people oh, are aware of. I didn't of. realize that was about her. Yeah, and um, then went on to make a film, and Kate Blanchett played her. So I think she's pretty awesome, all in all. Why was she called the White Mouse? I'm not 100% sure. I think it was basically about the fact that she just literally was here, there, and everywhere, and she was pretty unrecognizable in the sense of 
flitting from one place to another. And she had a five million um, pounds price on her head from the Gestapo, where everyone was desperate to get hold of her. But I suppose when you think about the characteristics of a mouse, they're very quick and pretty hard to pin down. And I love this thing she, um, when she was asked about her tactics and how she got away with it, mm. she says, a little powder and a little drink on the way and I'd pass their posts and wink and say, do you want to search me? God, what a flirtatious little bastard I was. <laughs> <laughs> what a legend. She just is a complete legend. I was looking into sort of various other things she did and whilst I wouldn't condone it or encourage it, she actually sold her war medals to fund her gin and tonic lifestyle later <laughs> on in life. <laughs> and, when, and when someone questioned her, she said, but I'm probably going to go to hell and they'll melt anyway. <laughs> so it's that kind of can't take it with you when you're gone mentality. I love her. It's the feistiness that really comes through reading anything about her. And, um, you know, she's also noted to say, put the men to shame by their cheerful spirit and strength of character in, in when she was talking to others about um, uh, training. And she was also a good and, and, and fast shot. So I, I always, whenever someone does the, the uh, backdated badass um, stories, I always try and sort of bring them to mind. And I've got this vision of, of her, you know, she's, she's got a little pistol on her somewhere. She's sassy. Mm. Um, you know, she, she's walking around head held high and it, I, we've done a, a few spies and it's making me more and more aware of the role that women played uh, in covert operations during both the First and Second World Wars. Yeah, I also yeah. love the fact that uh, this is one of my life goals where she ends up being a resident at the Stafford Hotel in St. James's Place near Piccadilly. Now, Margaret Thatcher was a resident at the Ritz Hotel. I'm like, stuff the care home. I want to be living in a hotel. And every morning she was downstairs sipping her first gin and tonic of the day. God knows how many she had that day. But I'm like, that is my life goal right there. Love it. I'm hoping for the Ned. Okay, yes, we'll hope for the Ned, Emma. We'll move in next Wednesday and never leave. So, she finally died when she was 98 and her obituary was entitled The Socialite Who Killed a Nazi With Her Bare Hands. So Mm. this kind of both sides of her, this sort of gin and tonic drinking, lots of kind of glamour and flirtation. But she was tough, really tough. Yeah, there's a great quote, actually, um, from one of her... Uh, the people that she worked with in the French, Redi- Re- French resistance, should I say. And um, it says she's the most feminine woman I know until the fight starts. Then she's like five men. And I think that's the really key thing is that, you know, we talk about feminism and sometimes people think, well, it has to be that you're not feminine uh, feminine to be a feminist. And it, this is actually, you know, she was the ultimate feminist and, you know, really, really worked the room. Mm. Fantastic. That is Nancy Wake. Thank you so much, Emma, for sharing with sharing her with us today. Um, if you have a backdated badass or a woman from history that you really think we need to know about and we should be sharing with the rest of the world, then do tell us. Tweet us at Badass Women's Hour, HR at Badass Women's Hour. Or if you want to be on the show, like let us know that too. We're always looking for more brilliant women that we can talk to and about. Um, But as ever, we're coming towards the end of our show now and we like to leave you with a little something to think about for the next seven days. A badass principle, if you will, to live your life by in the coming week. Nat, what is it this week? This one's breaking slightly with tradition uh, in that it's not the same format, but I'm going with passionate influence. And it was inspired by Anna and her, I guess, talking about how she's built a career and a business out of being an influencer, but not just being the influencer sharing this stuff, but also an actual business that enables both influencers and brands to maximise the relationship they have together. So for me, the passionate bit is figuring out the thing that you really, really, really love and then yeah share it share it on every single platform and and medium but it starts with caring and that was her number one tip love the thing that you do so i'm going with passionate influence emma what do you think passionate influence is how do you reflect it i think it's true i don't i think that passion is really contagious and infectious and i think that people really warm to you when you're passionate about something it doesn't matter what that is but passion always comes through i think we can just tell as human beings when somebody's doing something for i don't know an ulterior motive Mm. when it's driven just by money or just by fame or you know and i just don't think we're drawn to that so i think you're right stage and also just makes life much more interesting when you're like like staying true to the things you're really passionate and excited about, for sure. 
Uh, so I run lots of training courses and when I do, one of the things I get the women on those courses to do is spend five minutes just talking about things they love and are good at. And they're not allowed to talk about things they love but they're bad at or things they're good at but they don't really enjoy, just things they love and are good at. And when they do this, you see the person they're talking to and they person that's listening is sort of thinking oh I want to help mm. with that oh I know something that can do with that oh you could take this further and and we forget what huge influence we can have on other people when we just share what it is we're passionate about and why we actually think we're quite an important part of it and we're, we've been taught as kind of kids not to brag not to be mm. arrogant not to talk about everything but actually when you share what you're passionate about and why you're good at it you can really influence and change other people's minds so that for me is passionate influence this week uh, as ever if you want to get in touch with us in between shows because why wouldn't you you can find us on twitter at badass women's hour hr at badass women's hour or on instagram or facebook all the socials on the same name or you can talk to us individually i'm at harriet minter nat at nat d campbell and emma at emma sexton and we'll be back here again next week same time same place on talk radio Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist-approved, so fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.